0: There's artificial stimulus and all these things that are happening that are just money printing and creation. If you stop doing that, you have just a major depression. In May
1: 2023, the Fed increased the federal funds rate at the fastest pace seen in four decades. The Federal Reserve, an institution shrouded in mystery and wielding immense power, can have a major impact on your real estate investments. From rising interest rates to declining rental demand, the Fed's policies can send shockwaves through the housing market, leaving investors to navigate the jarring changes. On today's episode, Bronson Hills giving us a peek into the dark underbelly of the Federal Reserve's influence on your wealth brace yourselves so what was your experience like before this what we're experiencing now with the high interest rates and how has that changed in recent months
0: and we're watching i think no matter how anybody's engaged in real estate it's changed you know i think what it was from co you know before covid to now it's changed quite a bit uh even the last year or so year year and a half since the fed started ready was uh march of 2022 they started raising interest rates and they've raised them very significantly um, and, you know, to, to your point with cash flow, um, you know, cash flow is amazing when you have it. Uh, it seemed to be uh, less predictable these days. You know, I still have deals that cash flow, but they don't cash flow typically as much. Um, whether the, the, the deal has a fixed rate debt or it's got some sort of floating rate with a cap on there, um, the interest costs can potentially be eating into the cash flow as well as there's things like uh, increased costs. We have one market where we're seeing um you know labor costs and material costs have gone up 30 to 50 percent in the last year or two we've also seen insurance particularly in florida insurance for apartments has gone up three or four times what it was so just a lot of these things are eating into costs and there's some uncertainty around how uh you know if interest rates will stay high and for how long i'm sure we'll get into that But yeah, cash flow in multifamily deals, we are seeing things change. And I used to tell people, yeah, multifamily is a great cash flow investment. Now we have other things like ATM machines and car washes and things that provide better cash flow right now than real estate. I mean, we still love uh, multifamily for uh, the appreciation, but for the cash flow, it's been more inconsistent.
1: You touched on it, the insurance, uh, there's multiple factors that have contributed to this decline in cash flow, but a big one was the Federal Reserve's actions and you know this has been happening over the course of multiple months uh, recently can you just provide some context as to what the federal reserve is and what their role is
0: yeah so the federal reserve started in 1913 um since that time uh you know they've been in control of basically uh, controlling the money supply uh, they've had different iterations of having uh currency that's backed by gold Uh, But in reality, from there to now, we've had a loss of 97% of the purchasing power of the dollar. And People think, well, that just happens over time, doesn't it? Doesn't the dollar just lose its purchasing power? Don't things just generally cost more? Well, the answer is uh, it doesn't have to. It's only happening because they're creating more and more and more currency. And I think that's what a lot of people just don't really understand about the financial system is once you can print money, you can create currency you have a central bank. We actually did not have a central bank uh, for a couple hundred years. There was 150 years in the US. Um, I mean, I'm getting it wrong. The date's a little bit over 100 years. We did not have a, a central bank. So when we created it, it allows the government to basically vote in spending bills to basically take from tomorrow and pay for it today. And it also allows people to go to war, countries to go to war without having to immediately pay for it. So when you have those two things, you're able to basically just spend and spend and spend and the bill is always due later. And so we live in this debt based system that everything now is not just, you know, currency and money out there, but it's debt. And so it really creates, I think, this unhealthy relationship to money. But, yeah, it's been over 100 years now. Um, I'm a, I'm an end the Fed kind of guy. But, um, you know, I think in general, the Federal Reserve, um, you know, there are some things they do positive. I think they create a lot more problems than they do positives, I think.
1: I remember we were uh, at an event in Belize with the real estate guys and we met G. Edward Griffin, the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island. And he really peeled the layers back or the curtain back on how... Essentially, the origin story of the Federal Reserve and central banking. And it was just such a fascinating uh, experience to not only read the book, but hear him speak on that issue. And as you mentioned, there's, a, there's multiple people, and particularly in the real estate industry, but a lot of times it's like the investment world, financial world. They'll have this like slogan, end the Fed. And you, you mentioned that. And I know sometimes it's kind of like a joke, but it's not. Uh, a lot of people are, there's just a lot of controversy surrounding them. And I wanted to know, like, I wanted to directly ask, is the Federal Reserve a necessary evil or what is the controversy? Uh, surrounding them. Can you expand on it?
0: Yeah, there's a really good book. It's actually called "In the Fed by a politician named Ron Paul, who's a libertarian. It's it's not a long book. It's maybe 200 pages. It's a great book to understand why the conversation is here about of the Fed. But uh, basically, the reason it's controversial is right now, I mean, it, it would be very difficult for us to do away with the Fed right now. I think we could, but it would just basically, um, we would go back to just we have so much money created. It would just—I think once you have a debt-based system like what we have, where it's there's artificial stimulus and all these things that are happening that are just money printing and creation. If you stop doing that, you have just a major depression because you're not actually doing what you've been doing for years and years to pump up the economy. So um, I think you know it, it, at some point you know it will either have to happen that. The dollar just explodes, it just implodes and, you know, there's a total loss of confidence and there's been speculation around when and if that will happen. I think it is more a matter of when rather than a matter of if. We don't know when. Hopefully it'll be a very, very long time from now. But the things that they're doing, the spending, the the debt, the inflation, the, uh, the policies that have been created, um, you know, really they design in to have inflation. And really what inflation really is, is as more currency is created, it basically puts new currency in a creation of course currency and money are different things right money is something that stores value currency here's an example right here this is a 100 trillion dollar bill for those that can see this um it's um the largest bill ever printed it was in zimbabwe in 2008 right before the currency went out but it was at one with 14 zeros and, you know, you can, you can print as many dollars or, or many things, you know, that are currency as you want. But when it comes to actually money, it's stuff that actually stores value. So um, so going back to the Federal Reserve, I think if you were to just immediately end it, we would have some sort of catastrophic event. There could be a depression, there would be some major issue, but we'd have to get back to actually living within our means as a country. We get back into living within our means as individuals, and it would completely change our relationship to money, which really hasn't been there since the 1970s when there still was a backing of the U.S. dollar to physical gold.
1: That's a conversation we could really dive into from the gold uh, perspective. And I would love to maybe have you back on to discuss that and the history behind that. But as we mentioned earlier, and we've been, it's been a recurring theme throughout this episode, the Federal Reserve, they've been influencing interest rates and causing them to increase. And this has had a negative impact on a lot of multifamily investments, real estate investments as well. So there's two kinds of debt that I think particularly when it comes to the multifamily space that have been in a really peculiar position, um, starting off with short-term bridge debt and floating rate debt. And I wanted you to maybe provide some context as to uh, what those types of debt are, first off, but also what kind of challenges deals that are in those positions are facing right now in in, in a high interest rate environment.
0: It's interesting, a few years ago, we had some deals we did with uh, long-term fixed rate debt, and there were these things called prepayment penalties, meaning if you wanted to sell a deal early, and you're familiar with these, that if you sell a deal early, you had to basically go in and um, you know pay millions of dollars potentially for getting out of the loan early. So a lot of these deals were maybe uh, called agency debt or you know, five, 10-year type of debt. If you sell them in year two, we had to pay a penalty for that. You say, well, why would you have to pay a penalty? It's because the investors that invested in it were counting on a certain rate of return for so many more years. So if you end it early, you had to kind of pay for the privilege of ending it early. So we paid, we've paid we paid millions of dollars in prepayment penalties and it's been uh, painful. But then, you know, there have been deals the last probably last year and a half, I think actually before they started rising rate, raising rates, it was more harder to get into long-term fixed debt because uh, the numbers just didn't work out as well. And so people that did it really had a lot of you know foresight, and obviously just things worked out the way uh, you know they would hope and so if you have long term fixed debt, then um, it just allows you to weather some of this a little bit better. Now, the challenge with it is a lot of valuations for multifamily or even single family and other things have come down a lot. I think for single family it's like eighteen percent nationally uh, at least at the time of recording that uh you know the, the valuations of homes have come down. when it comes to multifamily, if rates are higher. Uh, typically people can afford, you know, less to pay less for a building, right? Because the income is still what it is. And you've got to be able to cover that and make a return to investors. So we're finding these days, especially in the last, you know, six to 12 months, it's hard to find deals that actually pencil that make sense that still provide a good return to investors without too much risk. So the flexible uh, debt side, obviously there's risk there that if you don't have some sort of cap, then rates can float up to however high they're gonna float to, right? And you just have to pay that. There's something that we've done on some of our deals called, or most of our deals called the interest rate cap, where we cap how much, uh, how high that rate will go. So if we have, you know, let's say rates are a certain amount, they can only go up to a certain, maybe 6% or whatever, they won't go higher. So it's capped the interest that you're paying for at least a couple of years on it. But there's a lot of that debt, that short-term debt, I think it's about 85% of uh, multifamily debt, large multifamily is this kind of floating rate or variable rate with a cap or something like that debt. And that's most of that's going to come due in the next 12 months or so. So it's we're going to see some interesting times and we'll see what happens, how high rates stay and for how long. Otherwise, it's going to cause some serious distress in the, in the, the multifamily market.
1: yeah Something that I've always uh, agreed with, and I think a lot of prominent investors say, is all investments involve risk. And like you mentioned, having a rate cap will help you mitigate that risk. And other investors and some of our mentors have emphasized the importance of having enough cash reserves on hand. And I think that's like another tool in your tool belt, another way to mitigate risk. And of course, a lot of people didn't anticipate high interest rate environment but if you had, had enough money on hand you maybe could have weathered the storm a little better uh, and in the past i've also heard you emphasize the importance of having enough capital on hand and you've expressed like the, the risk when it comes to being undercapitalized so can you dive in that into that a little bit and explain why undercapitalized deals in this environment right now are particularly at more 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 vulnerable to the market.
0: Yeah, I think if you don't have enough money, you know, everything stops. A business, um, you know, let's say you run a, a small business and you run out of money, your business is kind of done, right? You don't have any way to kind of buy goods and say, hire people, do all that. It's the same thing with a multifamily, you run out of money. You really can't work the plan anymore. There's no way to work it. And so a couple of solutions to this, obviously, you know, if you could go back a lot of deals that are under capitalized, you can't really go back and change it now. But having more than enough reserves, having being very concerned on the underwriting, there's also things that can kind of help along the way. I also find if you're with partners where, um, and I, I passively invest in deals, uh, we also do deals actually, we've got our 2000 multifamily units, But, um, you know, I I like working with partners that are very wealthy because if something comes up, usually they can kind of find some money here and there to make it work. And I think of a deal that, you know, out of the 10 deals we have going or something, one that's kind of struggling a little bit, we've got some really wealthy partners on the deal that are going to do whatever it takes to try to help that deal and keep it going. And so I think, you know, if you're with, you know, a group you invest with and it's three guys that all met in college and now they're. You know, it, it, there's nobody in that group that is high net worth. And I know for like the Donis brothers, you guys are younger, maybe the net worth isn't as high. But if you partner, if you've been really wise to partner with some very wealthy people to really help along the way. So I think having cash in general is helpful in a deal. Um, I think it's you know a little different as an individual. I think there's some things if you're looking specifically at a deal versus an individual. But I think having high reserves as well as because you know if you don't, if you can't pay for stuff, you're you're really at risk of losing a deal potentially
1: a lot of this is maybe from the perspective of the active investor, but passive investors, they're also at risk, obviously, because it's their money in the deal. And for them to pay attention to the the, the general partnership team, that's something we've always emphasized is vetting it. And that's why we surround ourselves with really uh, more experienced people whose credibility and track record and just experience we could leverage. So I'm really glad you.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, it's, uh, I think it's just something that, you know, as we see uh, challenges come up, you know, challenges are going to, we're going to come up regardless, but some of these deals that, Started two years ago, you know, you couldn't foresee that rates were going to rise as much as they did. You couldn't see, uh, you know, some of the things in certain areas. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe rents are not rising as quickly, or other costs are rising. So it is challenging. I do think there will come a point where we'll look back and say, man, if you could have weathered going through this, it's, it it would have been great to own a ton of stuff because I think later when interest rates c- come down, I think there'll be a point in the next six months or so where rates will start to come down. And when that happens, I think a lot of money on the sidelines is going to flood into assets such as multifamily.
1: Yeah, and I mean the whole reason the Fed even began this this initiative is, for lack of better words, is due to the high inflation that we were seeing uh, in, in in the U.S. And that's obviously relative. I know you're a big fan of Jason Hartman, and he always says, like, "Compared to what?" I know he applies that to investments, but like in high inflation, compared to what? Because I know a lot of other nations are experiencing much higher inflation. But that was the initial, uh, I guess. Uh, Reason one of them for the Fed to begin that and high interest rates aren't great for real estate. But what is the impact of inflation on real estate and multifamily?
0: Yeah, there's multiple things. People have different opinions on this too. Um, Some would say inflation. Obviously, when inflation is high, uh, you know, it it can mean a lot of things. Usually, interest rates rise then, and and usually, you know, that means valuations go down. I've heard other people say and, and produce some pretty compelling evidence showing that no, as inflation is high or as, and as interest rates are high, actually, real estate values tend to go up over the long term. So there's there's kind of two ways to look at it. It's been the challenge with our, what we're going through right now is it's been so sharp for the Fed to raise rates, you know, over five percent in the last, you know, over just over 12 months. That's that's a very sharp increase uh, in, in the rate that people are paying. And so I think, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I think in general, you know, rent and inflation keeps pace over the long term. There's a chart I put up from Mother Jones, which shows from the 1960s that rent and inflation goes hand in hand. And the difference between single family and multifamily for those single family investors is single family is just based on, hey, my house is worth what the house across the street or across town sells for. Right. But with multifamily, it's not really based on that as much as it's based on how much income are you getting from that property. And that's what you know, that's the business we're in. In in Kerwin, you know, even some of the properties we worked on together, right? It's just like going in, seeing those renovations, seeing the rent actually increase. And that's why I think the value add approach, which is an approach that you renovate, you know, apartment units, you renovate a house, you renovate something, and it gives you this, you know, Warren Buffett calls it the margin of safety, right? It gives you some sort of margin that if things don't go well in the market as a whole, or rates do what they're gonna do. You still have this you've increased so much value that you're going to be just fine and so that's why my friend ken ken mcelroy says that 2023 really is the year of operations right if you can operate a deal well and you can do those renovations you're going to be fine but if you have struggles there you're not able to operate you're not able to have the occupancy where it needs to be the incomes down you could really struggle right so i think that's something that's really important this year
1: yeah and one of the other big reasons that inflation because it's like you said there's different ways to look at it but a big impact consequence of inflation is that the value of uh, the dollar decreases and people's purchasing power goes down um and i I know this isn't the only threat to the us dollar and we'll we'll connect this back to why it's relevant to active and passive investors but we've heard in the news recently and i know you've covered in your youtube videos that other nations are starting to look at alternative currencies when it comes to using other uh, other types of currency rather than the us dollar which has been the world reserve currency for over 75 years and I wanted to know, can you provide some insight into why these other nations are looking for alternatives? And as a passive or active investor, is that something that we should worry about or even pay attention to?
0: Well, I think you should pay attention to all of it. I think uh, when the challenge, you know, if you look back, if you were an investor in 2008, which I was, I was doing some single family stuff. But if you weren't, if you were only looking at real estate, we know people in our network that lost everything, right? That lost uh, everything from just. I know, probably in 2008, you were just a young, a young lad. But um, you know, back in the time, if you weren't paying attention to uh, everything, you know, when I'm talking about not just real estate, I'm talking about the financial environment, the macroeconomics. So I have become a student over time of just studying the macroeconomics of, of well, what's actually happening? What are the trends? What's going on with spending? What's going on with the economy? Because all this stuff affects everything else, and that's where I think as an investor. Um, It gives you more clarity to understand well am i really diversified if i have 90 percent of my net worth in real estate is that really diversified or what types of real estate or what really could go wrong and i i have a book coming out shortly called fire yourself like how to develop passive income and replace you know get out of your job within three years and really part of it is just being able to really analyze uh you know really analyze deals and figure out you know one of the primary things in every deal is just there's usually one or two risks of ways you could lose money, right? And so if you don't understand what those are, um, then you probably haven't done enough homework, right? There's typically one or two primary risks. So I think really understanding what they are in any deal you go into is important. And I think just being you know, able to continue to learn and look at what's happening beyond real estate and also as an investor having different options. So we've shifted a little bit the last year, we're not doing as much real estate. We're doing a lot more ATM machines and car washes and oil and gas deals and all the other alternatives because those are cash flowing right and we're seeing a lot of upside in those deals so i'm still a huge multifamily guy real estate guy but you know right now it's challenging to get new deals done so i think it's important to be willing to make shifts and move into other things as needed
1: what are some of the reasons i'm just curious because i know it's not just the inflation there's some political reasons and uh in terms of why other nations are looking to get alternative currencies I think it's like you said it's important to be aware of what's happening in the macro economy
0: the reason why nations are moving to other sorts of currencies is because you know a lot of nations are, are penalized in using the dollar in the sense that um you know it, we get a huge advantage having the dollar because we can buy goods internationally much cheaper so if we buy stuff on amazon i buy stuff all the time on amazon i imagine you probably do too and it's just it's it's way cheaper than if it weren't a currency that people want if you were in like Brazil or you were in some other country you would have a harder time getting goods that are imported right but because we have really something like 60% of global transactions are settled in dollars we have this huge demand for dollars right so it gives us huge advantage but it also gives a disadvantage to other countries that ha- are forced to trade in the dollar, or even countries that um, you know we're, we're, we're at war with. Like we're not necessarily at war with Russia, but there's a war going on, and we've had uh, we don't really trade with them anymore. Right? We've had some real limitations on how we're working with them, so they're being forced to use other currencies, uh, or even gold. You know, even like using physical gold bars like this, right? um you know trying to trade in things that they actually are allowed to trade in or they're easier to trade in or they're not disadvantaged to trade in so a lot of these countries if they can settle in their own currencies it benefits both of those countries rather than being penalized for using the dollar there's a couple of reasons for that but it's you know a little more technical but i just think you know again if a country is uh, having to use dollars. Usually there's a price to, to have to do that. And so if they can do it in their own currency or in another country's currency, there's some uh, real desire to do that for multiple reasons.
1: Yeah. Many people I've heard kind of talk about this and they'll make it seem like it's the end of the American empire and uh, the Western civilization or Western stronghold on the global economy. And I know in the past you've mentioned how it's not as black and white as that. It's a little more of a complex issue and you, you touched on it, but there's a a term or phrase. It's called Triffin's dilemma, and I think that is like such a fascinating topic. But it's very important to understand when it comes to why maybe the U.S. dollar won't necessarily fall and, and be removed as the world reserve currency. So, if you could briefly just maybe explain what that is. And-
0: yeah, Triffin's dilemma. I heard about this from my friend Mark Moss, and it comes from a guy named his last name was Triffin, and basically it's this idea that uh, that you know other we have we have a benefit of being the world's reserve currency, we can get stuff cheaper, but it causes issues where it causes, uh, it hollows out the entire manufacturing base, right? because there's no, this doesn't make sense anymore. to like manufacture stuff. We can just buy goods overseas and do other things. So we have a benefit of it, but the challenge, the dilemma really is that no other country wants to be the reserve currency because they know like if China did it, they would hollow out all of their manufacturing, right? So there's, there's issues with this is so this kind of dilemma of, well, we are the reserve currency. People may not like it around the world. but they don't necessarily want to be the reserve currency uh because of what it does to manufacturing it creates other issues as well so it's kind of this like it's kind of this plus and minus right there are the reserve currency you have benefits of that but you know it's and then you have challenges of that so i think it's it's just it's, it is a dilemma where it comes up um you know if another country is looking to try to take down the dell there's really no good alternatives right now. i mean nobody really trusts china to be like not manipulating their currency and to be like, hey, I'm gonna go, you know, sell my dollars and buy a bunch of Yuan. It it doesn't really make sense to do that. Um, But, you know, maybe the Euro, but they're not good financially. So there's really no good alternatives. And there's a, a phrase called Tina is that, you know, there is no alternative right now. There's no alternative. Maybe people will start doing more gold and crypto or finding other ways to trade. But I think in general for now, it's the dollar for the foreseeable future. But eventually if you get to a place of total irresponsibility, there will be another group that comes up and says, Hey, we're going to do this in this way. And people will move to that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Compared to what, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I love that. I, I'm so happy that you're, like, uh, you're willing to talk about a lot of these gray topics because the media and other maybe alternative sources of information will make everything seem black and white. And a lot of times it's not like that. It's very complex and, and just gray. And that's why it's important to listen to people like you and the awesome people you have on your shows who are willing to maybe touch on those complexities and,
0: yeah thanks man yeah it's 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 something i think with inflation too you know, a lot of the mainstream media just kind of takes what the government says as far as their data and different things there's a lot of data that's just not right i mean the they say inflation is six seven eight percent i think it's more like 15 to 17 percent and that's a big difference you know it's a big big difference in how you calculate inflation inflation has actually been recalculated i think this is the third time they changed how they did it um, in 1980 they changed again in 1990 and then they just changed again, I think, this January. So they're changing how they do it just to try to really honestly fudge these numbers so people feel better. And it's the weirdest thing because if you talk to people that are just kind of like almost like they're in the matrix, like, oh, I just kind of believe, oh, this is what it is. And stuff costs more. It's what it is. But if they think inflation is six, seven, eight percent, they're still going to spend and do things normally. But if you think it's 15, 20 percent, that changes. That's almost a catastrophic, like, oh my gosh, I need to, instead of saving, I need to spend all my money and buy stuff. And I I feel like it's that's why I'm about ninety five percent invested in assets, you know, real assets that hopefully pay me to hold them. So I just think it's um, it's it is very important to pay attention.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of my friend's mom. She was a realtor back in I don't don't remember what year, but she was experiencing eighteen percent or higher interest rates. And so she was saying, like, you know, keep saying this is a broken record at this point, but compared to what, you know, inflation. This is such an interesting way to look at it because they were a lot higher back then.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it is a compared to what question because yeah, when inflation, I really think we're at, we're at seventies era, you know, 1980 inflation reached almost 20%. I really think we're all, we're there, or almost there. And if you look at prices of things, I mean, Chipotle burritos, I used to go there and I think it was two years ago, I'd get a burrito, a chicken, you know, you probably, right, you guys are fitness guy, seven bucks <laughs> and now it's, you know, 10, 50, 11 bucks. I mean, that's, that's a 50% increase in two years. And uh, and you're seeing that everywhere. I don't know any place that the prices were what they were two years ago. Everything is more expensive. And so um, you know, there's ways you can get pained by that. And we're all pained by it. But there's ways you can also take advantage of it. So that's something I'm interested in too.
1: For sure. And I'll always talk about the US Bring dollars. This uh, other topic I've seen you cover in the past where there's a distinction between currency and money. And a lot of people, even me, I was guilty of this not that long ago, where I didn't know there was a difference. Uh, can you explain what that difference is and why it's important for investors to understand that difference?
0: Yeah. So there's a, a great series on YouTube called The Hidden Secrets of Money by a guy named Mike Maloney. It's 10 parts. Watch the first part. Anybody listening, watching, uh, it's it's amazing. It just changed the way I looked at this concept, But The Hidden Secrets of Money. But the idea that really uh, you know, currency is just simply paper, it's simply coins, it's things that can be easily created. Uh, money is actually something that actually stores value in itself. So, if you have a gold bar or a gold coin, you know, this has a 5,000 year history of actually being money. This is actually a doorstop, it's not actually a but you know, gold itself has and silver have a 5,000 year history of being money. So, again, it actually stores value within itself, and and actually, when dollars up till like 19, the 1930s, they said on the $20 bill, it said payable to the bearer in demand uh, in gold coin. So it was $20. So it was basically like the the paper was like a claim check. It's like when you go to a party or you go to a, a concert and you check your coat, right? They give you a little tag or they use something or a, a certificate showing that you have the coat and you exchange it. That's what currency was intended to be it was intended to be i don't want to carry all this gold around so we'll give you these paper certificates so whenever you want you could go into a bank up till the 30s you could you could slap your 20 dollar bill on the counter and they would give you an ounce of gold which now costs around two thousand dollars right it's not that the value of the gold has changed it's just they've created more and more currency so i i look at it very differently people would say well gold you know it's not a good investment it doesn't return anything where's the cash flow it's just but you know on the other hand well what it stores value though better i think than it um, and actually it is money more than currency so again people have a hard time kind of thinking outside of the dollar as americans we think that everything's in dollars you buy low and sell high and you do this and you do that and it's like well if your dollars are losing value it doesn't really matter how many do- i mean if you just keep accumulating dollars that's great but you need to have something that actually stores value that you can have liquidity in and you don't actually lose it just from the government creating more which really is theft honestly it's the more that currency is created it just takes from people that hold dollars savers people like you and me and just puts in the hands of government you know that can
1: just but i know you're a big advocate in precious metals and you're one of those interesting uh investors who isn't afraid of investing in different things not just like one thing and i've heard Multiple people say, oh, focus on one thing. And I, I can't remember who said this, but it was like at the beginning of your investment journey, you should focus on one type of investment and then diversify. But it seems like you're pretty diversified. And I, I would say there's uh, argument to, to, to be made for that too. I would want to know, though, for someone who may be sitting on a lot of money and they're thinking, why would I invest in precious metal when I could invest in a cash flowing asset? And you did touch on this, but if you can expand, why bother with both? Why, you know, what's the, what's the point of doing both if they're both hard assets and, uh, you know, tangible things that that actually have value.
0: Yeah. So in my book, I talk about this a bit is that it doesn't really matter what the asset is. It matters what it does for you, right? Like I invest in certain things because they reduce my taxable basis. I invest in certain things because they cash flow. I invest in certain things because they have very high upside potential. So again, it's once you learn, and I I think there's some truth that learn one asset class, learn multifamily, learn, you know, some asset, maybe ATMs or car washes, or just, you know, focus in on one thing, make sure you understand it. it doesn't take super long for a lot of people that are kind of numbers minded or can kind of get their head around it. But, you know, in general, over time, you can learn to be able to expand. And certain times, it makes amazing sense to to buy a ton of multifamily. I think back in the years, you know, 2014 to 20, I don't know, even around, you know, 20, 2020, 20, 21, whatever, that multifamily was just on fire. There was like no better. It was amazing. Right. And then, but then there are other times where other assets may make more sense. Uh, now, gold and silver, Uh, Yeah, I really look at it. I don't look at it like an investment. So people, I think they get, they don't understand or they don't see it the way I do as far as gold and silver. It's not an investment. It doesn't, you know, an ounce of gold is worth an ounce of gold. As one of our friends, uh, Robert Helms says, is you're not actually improving anything. But for me, instead of holding cash, I like holding gold. I like, I have, you know, there's third party vaults that can hold it for you. And what it does is it actually allows you to have wealth outside the financial system, Everything you own typically is in the financial system. And we saw this. uh, I mean, there's a number of reasons. This is one issue. But uh, in in Canada, uh, basically, if you gave money to support a cause you believed in, the Canadian truckers that were um, protesting, then they were not only seizing the money or shutting down the protesters. In Canada, they were actually going after the people that donated money to them and shutting down their own assets, which is kind of crazy, right? You think about this. If you didn't have money outside the financial system, you're in that it just shows the power of government. So that's one issue. Another one is there's counterparty risk that if there was a major financial uh, system issue or you know issues in the financial system, you have some liquidity there. And then you can also use it. It really the big the primary purpose is it's like it's like insurance, right? So the more currency they create, or if there's a crisis, people run to things like you know gold and silver. And if you have some, then you're able to use it for things that you need, or maybe be able to use it to go buy assets when other people are are running out of assets.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking it must have been nice (laughs) to be invested back then in multifamily and being able to accumulate all the wealth that a lot of people did. Took advantage of the market, but we're firm believers that there's opportunity in every point of the market. You just have to know how to best approach it. So. Awesome. We are approaching the end, but in the past, I've heard you discuss the importance of being a contrarian investor. And I think that is such a great, you know, go out with the bang question because a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines right now. They're afraid. They're sitting on their money. And I know Warren Buffett, a saying he has, I'm pretty sure it was him. It says to be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. And I think it's clear that the market is shifting to the point where a lot of people who understand how to approach the market and invest with you know mitigating risk. But what is what does it mean to you to be a contrarian investor, and how would a contrarian investor approach a market like this?
0: Yeah, so I think in everything, um, you know, contrarian really just means to not follow the crowd, right? So uh, you know, there's a saying that you know once your Uber driver starts talking about. The stock market or real estate or crypto or it's time to sell you know right or somebody said their mom is that for them oh once their mom got all excited oh we should go buy it so, yeah 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 exactly once the barber's giving you, you know, investment tips or whatever maybe it's time to move on so i think you know the idea of being a contrarian is really doing independent thinking and i, th- I like the idea of this concept of uh, relative valuation what that means is you can look historically and say okay you know is housing overvalued and undervalued well like Jason Harmon say well compared to what well compared to historical you know how much income like what's the average household income right now and where is is housing in relation. I don't have those exact figures, but I still think housing is still relatively high as far as valuation compared to how much people are actually making, right? So maybe there would be other alternatives that people can invest. And you can look at gold and silver, you can look at stocks, you can look at all kinds of different things. I'm not a huge stock market guy, but you look at different sort of assets and find out what makes sense for you. So um, a lot of times I discover new assets and I actually discovered uh, this is a smaller deal but somebody through a relationship came to me and said hey for this deal and it was kind of they gave me this offer because they want me to basically be involved in future stuff but it was like a 50 percent return on my investment over a six month period. And it's, it's, it's not a large investment, but that kind of stuff happens, right? So if you're on the know and you're talking and you're communicating, you have a good network of people, they will bring you deals sometimes. Sometimes they're unusual or things you wouldn't normally consider. But I think the more experience you get looking at different assets, then we'll be able to see, huh, well, what really is the one or two primary risks? And could this work for me? And sometimes I always feel like the higher your net worth, the more chance you, the more ability you have to kind of try out different things and you might find you really love that asset right and you was like i didn't even know i love like i didn't know i love atm machines as much as i do right but i love them so you never know uh you know what you'll end up loving
1: yeah that's so important i want to expand on a point you made because i agree it's important to be an independent thinker and that's so not not really the norm anymore a lot of people don't think independently and they're kind of listening letting other people influence way they think and the approach to things like investing. I know Kim Kiyosaki, we saw her in Belize and she said that the way she gets her information is by having conversations with experts on the topics she's interested in. And that was such a refreshing way to approach education and we've kind of changed the way we learn now. We'll get on the call with someone and ask them what they're seeing on the ground. But I also think it's important and you, you did touch on this, but I want to highlight the, important of, uh, the importance of independent thinkers surrounding themselves with independent thinkers. Because like you said, it's all about your network and. A lot of times these opportunities these investment opportunities it's all about who you know and you don't you won't know you won't have access to these investment opportunities if you're not putting yourself out there networking and just rubbing shoulders with these people so when they have a great opportunity you kind of know what to do yeah
0: yeah, the, yeah you you touched on this the confused mind will say to wait and just won't do anything and we're seeing a record amount of cash uh over five trillion in cash in, in bank accounts or savings accounts or financial accounts for americans and it's just it's more, four or five times more than has ever happened. So the contrarian view is not to just sit on the sidelines and wait because you're losing to inflation. You're losing to just other things. It's to try to find assets that make sense for you. It's for a you know, midterm, one, two, three year type timeline. And you can go to uh, amongst all the social medias. You can also go to bronsonequity.com. We have a, a free ebook. It's 50 color pages called How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage. That's a free gift. And we can also let you know about our upcoming deals and things like that we're doing. But uh, that's at BronsonEquity.com for that evening.